0: So a noble purpose seller starts a call thinking, how can I make a difference to this customer? A transactional seller starts a call thinking, how can I close this deal?
1: You're listening to Mental Selling, the sales performance podcast, a show from Integrity Solutions. This is a podcast for passionate leaders in sales and customer service who are driven by purpose, not just a paycheck. People who want to create broader and deeper connections with customers and their teams by building trust and mastering the critical mental and emotional sides of sales. You're about to hear a conversation from sales leaders and industry experts about what it takes to translate sales knowledge into sales performance, how to change the sales conversation by putting the focus on building relationships and adding value, removing the blockers that keep salespeople from reaching their potential, creating an inspiring learning environment and coaching culture, and ultimately increasing sales achievement and improving customer loyalty. Ready to rise up to the top of your game? Let's get right into the show.
2: Welcome everyone to Mental Selling. Thanks for joining us today from wherever you are and whenever you might be listening to this. I'm very excited about today's episode. Today's guest is Lisa McLeod. Lisa is a global expert on purpose-driven business and the best-selling author of five books, including Selling with Noble Purpose, How to Drive Revenue and Do Work That Makes You Proud. She has worked with clients like LinkedIn, SupportWorks, Roche, and Salesforce, and is a regular contributor to both the Harvard Business Review and in Fortune and Forbes. So, Lisa, welcome to Mental Selling. Thanks for being with us today.
0: It is such a pleasure to be with you today. And I love the title, Mental Selling. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to dive in.
2: Thank you. So I first heard you speak at a sales and marketing conference about three and a half years ago now. And ever since we uh, rebooted this podcast, you've been a guest that I really had been eager to have on the show because your points of view about selling perhaps map closest to what this podcast is all about more than just about anyone I can think of. So let's get right into it by talking about purpose. And in the context of selling and you know, in simple terms, how do you define it and why does it matter?
0: So first, I'm going to tell you what it's not. Purpose has become part of the business vernacular. Ten years ago, if you asked someone what's the purpose of a sales team, they would have said, well, duh, hit the target, bring in the revenue. But what we now know is that when you have what we call a noble purpose, bigger than money, when your true north is improving life for customers, you wind up making more money. And so one of the things that's happened, I'm delighted that, you know, I I wrote the original version of Selling with Noble Purpose. You and I were talking about this in 2012. And since then, purpose has become part of the business vernacular. But what's happened is words only mean what we think they mean. And a lot of times people think the purpose of a company, one is to return to shareholders, you know, that old Friedman model. No, that's not the purpose of the company. The purpose of a company is to improve life for customers. And people get a little confused about purpose and they think, well, is it about a giveback? Is it about all these ESG metrics? And the answer is no. Good companies give to their communities. Good companies don't pollute the world. But the true purpose of a company is to improve life for customers plain and simple. Your noble sales purpose is a clear and succinct statement about how you're making life better for customers. End of story.
2: So if a salesperson, I don't want to say if they don't buy into purpose, but if they can't put his or her finger on what theirs is specifically, what's the risk or potential cost there? I mean, does every does every salesperson need to feel, you know, if you're selling plumbing fixtures or light fixtures, do they, does every salesperson need to feel like they're making a, you know, a deep difference in customers' lives?
0: Well, I think it comes down to do we define deep difference. So you mentioned uh, plumbing fixtures and light fixtures. And I will tell you, that those you try and live your life without plumbing and lighting and you see how well it goes.
2: True, um, very so- true.
0: A lot of times people think, you know, because I use the language noble purpose, they think, oh, well, that's for the people curing cancer or saving lives or teachers or whatever. No, if you if what you are selling is being bought by customers, you're improving their lives. So what we suggest is you ask three questions. They're in selling with noble purpose. And I'll give them to you now. We call them the three discovery questions as a seller. You want to be able to answer, how do you make a difference to customers? How do you do it differently than your competition? And on your best day, what do you love about your job? And if you can get clear on those, you will become a more compelling salesperson than that transactional salesperson who's just there to close the deal.
2: And that can also, you know, we we talk a lot about on this podcast about how there are a lot of ups and downs in selling, right? It's not a, a linear, every day is the same. Right. You have some real highs and you have some real lows. And I think what you're talking about is a way to sustain people through some of those inevitable ebbs and flows. So a related question, I think, but so we all read today about there are huge amounts of, of turnover in the labor market and resignations and people changing jobs, et cetera. Why do you think salespeople today leave their jobs?
0: So. There's two answers. They'll tell you they're leaving their job for more money. What prompted them to be open to looking was they didn't feel an emotional connection to their work. Now, if you're out there and you're working for a toxic boss in a terrible company and you're being underpaid, like, let's get real, you need to leave. You got options. You do not need to do this. But what we find people are complex and we have lots of motivations. And there's nothing wrong with being money motivated. When I talk about noble purpose, people think, oh, you don't care about money. I care deeply about money. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a former VP of sales. And so the money matters. The money without the meaning. If you're just out there making money and you don't feel like your work makes a difference, your life is going to become very transactional. And so what we find is they both matter. What salespeople want is they want to be able to do both. They want to be able to make money and to know that my work counts for something. You know, I'm going to go back to plumbing fixtures. We had a concrete company. It was one of our most successful clients. Again, you might not think concrete is very sexy. You might not think it matters, but try living your life without concrete. You can't. It holds up half the world legitimately. And so what you want is you just want to have a sight line to how your work matters. Because you see, human beings, once we get beyond food and shelter, we have two fundamental needs, belonging and significance. Belonging is I'm part of something bigger than myself. And significance is my individual contribution matters. And we all need that in our jobs.
2: Yeah, absolutely. That's universal. I've read part of your book which is one of the more interesting parts to me because it it's a lot of what we talk about at integrity solutions but you talk about you discuss the nobility of the sales profession and how it's so often we all know it's so often misperceived as you know people's knee-jerk reaction to selling is that they're being tricked or mm-hmm. coerced into something how does purpose affect a salesperson's motivation to succeed how does their view of what selling is as a profession motivate them. You talk about, you know, the economics of self-interest are, are not sustainable. So can, can you talk about that, just sort of that view of, of the sales profession and why that matters?
0: Well, I, I'm going to start with a story because I remember a million years ago, I was just graduating from college and I was going to a party at my then boyfriend, later became my husband, but at his boss's house. So he's a couple of years older than me. So he was already a grown-up, you know, and had a grown-up job. Yeah, and yeah. Um, I go to this party at his boss's house. So I'm like really nervous. You know, I'm the youngest one there going to this party. And I'm a college senior. What does everybody ask a college senior? So what are you going to do? Have you found a job? Yeah. Well, the week before I go to this party, I get my dream job. I'm going to be a sales rep for Procter & Gamble. And I'm so excited. I can't stand it. I'm super excited about the job. And I'm also super excited that I'm going to be able to say at this party that I have this job. So the boss's wife comes up to me. Oh, hello, dear. And she's like what I call a fancy lady, you know, wearing this really (laughs) nice house. She's like, so dear, you know, I hear you're graduating from college. What are you going to be doing? And I say, well, I'm going to be a sales rep for Procter & Gamble. I'm so excited. And she goes, Oh, sales. Oh, my. I don't know if I could ever do that. And I am so naive and excited about my job that I do not understand what she is saying to me. When she says, I don't think I could ever do that. I think she's saying it like you'd say to like a fighter pilot or a brain surgeon. Right. right. Wow. I don't know if I could ever do that. I'm like, "Yep, it's pretty badass, isn't it? Yep, that's what I'm doing. (laughs) What I did not understand in that moment was what she meant was, it's sleazy, it's icky, and I Um, could never lower myself to do that, Miss Fancy Lady. But what I've come to realize is sales is one of the only professions that we allow it to be defined by the people who do it badly.
2: That's a great point.
0: We all know. There's terrible ministers, there's terrible teachers, there's terrible doctors, every profession has a share of terrible people.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And what the data tells us is those pushy, aggressive people who try to talk people into things they don't wanna buy and they don't need manipulative people. They're not the high performers by any stretch of the imagination. So there's two things I want people to take away from this. Number one, the data is fundamentally clear The top salespeople are the people who factually and earnestly want to improve life for their customers. That's who we need to allow to define our profession. And the other thing that I want people to take in is you don't get to be in commerce or in a capitalistic society and have a disdain for the very thing that makes the whole engine run. So, like, this disdain that people have for sales is insane because nobody wants to quit buying things. And I'm not talking about excessive consumerism, but no one wants to run their business without computers or without software. And so the idea that somehow the people selling all the things that make our lives and businesses better are icky, is just crazy. So, So those are the two things I really want people to take away. The people who are the best in our profession are actually the people who truly care about their customers. And this whole economy we got going hinges <laughs> upon people buying and selling things that people actually need. So like, let go of that disdain for this profession.
2: Do you think a lot of salespeople are, are held back by that though? By that, that view of maybe either whether it's consciously or subconsciously?
0: Not the best ones. Because the best ones have come, as you and I both have, around to this deep understanding. What I would like to put out to all the younger salespeople, the less tenured salespeople, the people struggling with it, and to all the parents whose child just tells them they're going into sales, is sales is a noble profession. It makes the economy hum. And even if you're not selling, you know, Even if you get out of the world of, of, you know, capitalism, somebody has to go sell all that x-ray equipment. Somebody has to sell those teachers their, you know, their materials and their supplies. And selling at its heart is not about talking people into something they don't want. That's terrible. Selling at its heart is about finding the people who can benefit from what you have and making it easy for them. If you you are selling something and people are paying money for it, you have a noble purpose because they wouldn't be buying it if it wasn't helping them. What you need to do is lean into how, again, those three questions. How do I make a difference? How does what I sell make a difference? How do we do it differently? And on my best day, what do I love about my job? And usually what you love is those magic moments when the customer says, this is exactly what I needed.
2: Yeah. Now, r- related to that, an- another thing that can happen, though, with some salespeople, it's one thing to sort of have a positive view of the of selling itself as the profession. But what about if their view of what they're selling, the products and services, can their viewpoint about those and sort of their, their confidence and, and real belief in those, can that have the same effect positively or negatively?
0: It absolutely does. And so I'll tell you two things on this. If you're not feeling excited about what you're selling, the first thing you need to do before you give it up, the first thing you need to do is go back and find some people that bought from you. And if you're new, dig into your experienced salespeople and find out how did this make a difference? And so like our concrete company went back and found that their delivery systems, the strength of their concrete, the working with their team made the whole project sing. So go back and find out how does this make a difference? Don't minimize it. If you're selling accounting systems, if you're selling software, again, you don't have to be changing the world, just helping people in some way. So go back and find out how it made a difference. If you're selling something that's commoditized, really dig into how did my company's delivery of this make a difference? Because what you're looking for is that feeling of significance, that this actually mattered. If you can't find it, and what you're selling, is this is the second point, and what you're selling is truly crap, you need to leave because you're not going to be that good at it. But again, that, those instances are so rare. I think what happens is we just get so used to what we're selling that we don't lean into it. And we tend to ask questions of our customers, like, were you satisfied? Yes. That's not the question that you wanna ask. You wanna ask what impact did it have on you? Because there's been this talk, and, and you know this, in the last 20, 25 years about customer centricity Selling with noble purpose takes customer centricity one step further. Customer centricity is often about pleasing customers. Selling with noble purpose is about improving customers. And so anybody out there who's got kids know there's, if you're a parent, there's a big difference between pleasing your children and improving your children.
2: (laughs) That's a good (laughs) analogy, yes, that's very true.
0: Same thing as a teacher. And so what you're trying to do is you are really trying to have an impact on your customer. And that's what you're always looking for. So instead of going back and saying, are you happy? That's fine, and that's a baseline question. But if I were to say, were you happy with our concrete? Were you happy with our software? Yeah, it was good at work.
2: Yeah, saying you're satisfied is yeah. is sort of like meeting the least common denominator.
0: That's right. You're not gonna get a fire in your belly because customers are telling you, we're satisfied.
2: Yeah. And you also touched on something else, which is especially for people that are selling, and let's be honest, most companies do, things that are at least relatively commoditized, is go beyond the product and talk about why they bought from you because they're also buying the, the experience.
0: The, experience, the entire
2: customer experience can be what the difference is and what your impact is.
0: The service, the confidence. We had a big piece of business that we just won. And we went back and we won it against quite a formidable, much larger company than us. And we went back and said, why did you choose us? And they said, we could tell that you cared about us more.
2: Yeah, that, that shouldn't be underestimated.
0: Okay, well, good, because we did.
2: Yeah, it's a it's a huge factor. That just gets back to your brand and your brand promise.
0: Yeah. And and yeah. that's
2: it's all about how you make customers feel. So now that's a really good point.
0: Well, and you bring up, I want to pause on one thing. You bring mm-hmm. up brand promise. When you think about people listening to this, if your company is doing this work at the top and your brand promise and the way they're communicating to you, that's great. You have a competitive advantage. But if they're not, you can do this. We do this all, this rests 100% in control of the individual salesperson, of the individual sales manager around. We are not just going to focus on closing, we are going to focus on improving life for customers. And our close rate is a measure of how well we are doing that.
2: That's a really good point. You You want this to be happening systemically and organizationally, but if it's not, it still is like you just said it's up to the individual and they can deliver on that themselves.
0: Right. Well back to the title of this podcast mental selling. Is your if your true north is hit my number hit my number hit my number you are going to be a frantic untethered up and down person. Yeah. But if your true north is in your mind how am i going to improve life for customers number one, the data tells us you will be more compelling, you will be more engaging, your win weight will go up and you will ultimately close more deals. But the other thing is you'll be more grounded because no matter what the circumstances, I can always improve life for customers.
2: Yes, that's that's a really good point. And so building on that, you know, we're talking about salespeople developing their own, their true north and their view of selling as a profession and their belief, you know, core belief in the products that they're selling. Do you think can customers feel it either way if somebody has that or don't? Meaning like, can a sales rep sort of fake it or hide it or bury it? You know, so how do how do customers tell whether somebody has that or not? And does it doesn't matter?
0: So it's happening on a conscious level and an unconscious level, depending on the customers. And so I would liken this to dating. It's been a million years since I dated but I've watched shows about dating. You can tell if someone is genuinely interested in you and you don't go through a little mental checklist where you go, oh, they leaned in. Oh, they made eye contact. Oh, that question was a little more insightful. You're not doing that. When you said, can customers feel it? They absolutely can feel it. And one of the things that's happened in this post-pandemic world, or whether we're still in or not, but whatever, Mm -hmm. is... If you've ever been through a traumatic experience, death of a parent, a health scare, a divorce, a bankruptcy, something that really stops you in your tracks, you have a deep conversation with yourself. Who am I? Why am I here? How am I spending my precious time on this earth? So what's happened over the last two years is everyone's done that. Everyone's done that at the same time. And what that does, this is super important for sellers because what that does is it gives you a heightened awareness of how you are spending your time. And you only want to spend time with people that you enjoy, that care about you, that you care about. And so what you have to understand is that customers are now reading your intent. And it's super important and you can't put, The toothpaste back in the tube. So what a friend of mine, who's the vice president of HR for a large bank told me, because she has lots of salespeople call on her to sell her all kinds of things. And she said, what was annoying in person, which is the salesperson that goes on and on about themselves, she said, is intolerable on a Zoom. That's true. So nobody has, it's terrible. No customer has time for you to go down your laundry list of features and all this, they're going to, they want you to get to it, but the it that they want you to get to is them.
2: Yeah. They don't want to see your slide with all your customer logos or talk about how many offices you have in the world, that sort of thing. Yeah,
0: Wah, 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 <laughs> wah, wah, wah. They don't care. Yeah. And it's really good news for sellers who want to lean into an important word here is customer impact. Not just lean into customers generically, but lean into customer impact. And that's what Selling with Noble Purpose is all about, is improving life for customers in both quantifiable ways, but also qualitative ways. The act of doing business with you should be fun.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it should be. So I, when I first read your book, which was about over three years ago, because I got a copy of it at the conference that you spoke at, and then I reread A lot of it uh, ahead of our discussion today. One of the things you talk about is you divide salespeople into two camps. There's transactional sellers and then noble purpose sellers. Can you talk a bit about each and what the difference is and and what you think customers want more most from a salesperson in that context?
0: So as I describe this, I invite folks to think about when they've been at their best. And what we saw, we studied a number of sales teams, and that's the what the research bore out was that there were definitely, there were actually three camps of sellers. There were these noble purpose sellers, there were good performing transactional sellers, and then there were terrible people that did not know what they were doing.
1: So we don't need to talk about those.
0: But the transactional sellers, not a bad person, just trying to make a living and do a good job. But I'll give you a couple of compare and contrast. So a noble purpose seller starts a call thinking, how can I make a difference to this customer? A transactional seller starts a call thinking, how can I close this deal? Questioning, it shows up in a bunch of different ways. Discovery, a noble purpose seller thinks, I want to understand what this customer is trying to accomplish within the scope of their business. A transactional seller thinks, I need to understand the purchase requirements. When you go into presenting, A noble purpose seller thinks, I need to connect the dots and show the customer how what I have can help them achieve their goals. A transactional seller thinks, I need to show the customer how my product works. Transactional sellers make sales, but they leave it to the customer to connect all those dots. And so what we found was those noble purpose sellers, one, they produced much more revenue. Their win rate was higher. But the other thing is they close bigger deals and they close stickier deals. And it's because instead of asking about purchase requirements, they ask about customer strategic goals. Instead of talking about product features, they talk about customer success and how the customer's life and business will be better. And so there was a distinct difference in orientation. But where it came from, back to mental, it came from a mindset of, why am I here? And those transactional sellers, again, good people trying to do a job, make a living. I am here to close business. And those noble purpose sellers, I am here to improve life for customers. And everything flowed out from that.
2: That's really good. That's a that's such an important sort of, again, way to keep people centered.
0: Centered. That's a really good phrasing. Yeah. In, in
2: every customer conversation that they're having. I don't know if this is more like a story I wanted to share to get your reaction to more than a question, but something that resonated for me in the book, I went through it and there was a chapter titled, Why Profit is Not a Purpose. And it immediately took me back to earlier in my career, quite a while ago, I I had a job years ago where I worked for the CEO, who was a great guy. He'd been with the company for many years. He'd been the CEO for, I don't know, nine, 10 years, highly respected, very well-liked, uh, he was a catalyst for the company's positive culture. And you know, on very good terms, he just had found something else he wanted to do, and he was leaving the company. And when he left, and the company was owned by a parent company, when he left, on again, on good terms, the interim CEO came in to an all-company meeting and stood up in front of the room and very forcefully opened the meeting by saying, Let me be really, I I still remember standing there watching this. Let me be really clear. Your mission, looking around at everybody in the room, your mission is to deliver profit to parent company X. Mm -hmm. And that juxtaposition of what people's experience had been in the company from a leadership standpoint, you could see in the moment, you could see the energy and feel it drain from the room. And I remember looking around and literally looking at people's faces and thinking, she's going to leave he's going to leave. She's out of here. And in the months ahead, many of them were, they left. And so what, what's your reaction to that? When, when companies sort of drive down that, like, we're here to make profit as your, as your purpose, you know, trying to make that their purpose.
0: So here's what I would say. Here's what that CEO said. And it might've been a very well-intended person that has a lot of pressure from their board, from whoever. So I'm not making a moral judgment here. Yeah. But when a leader says your purpose is to make a profit, your purpose is to hit the target, what the person hears is you are a cog in a money machine. Right. You are a meaningless cog in a money machine that exists for other people, not for you. And so when leaders say that, they are creating a transactional relationship with their employees. A transactional relationship with your employees creates a transactional relationship with your customers.
2: That's a great way to put it.
0: And you've got to really understand that. If you want customer loyalty, if you want to be differentiated in the marketplace, if you want your customers to stick with you and not put it up for bid every year, that starts with the conversation that you're having with your employees. And so, but leaders will say, but my board. How I ended up working with boards and CEOs was because I started working with salespeople and they all said, but my manager, my manager, she's here, she says it's all about the money. So I started working with sales managers. They go, but the chief revenue officer, the chief revenue officer. So I started laddering this whole yeah. thing back up. And so, what I will tell you is, As a leader, you are required to hit your numbers. Your numbers are a lagging indicator. Your numbers are the result of the mindset and behavior of your employees. So if you are leading with, you got to hit the number, you got to hit the number, you are just like a teacher that is sitting in the classroom saying, you got to improve the test scores, you got to improve the test scores, scores. you got to improve the test scores or a coach that's telling a runner, you got to improve your time, you got to improve your time. You you can't coach to an outcome. You have to coach and create culture around a behavior and a mindset. And so if I am a leader, what I want to be saying is, here's how we improve life for customers. Here's the story of our company, because it's going to be a lot more emotionally engaging. Here's some examples of customers and oh, by the way, the numbers are a measure of
2: that. I think that's a really good point. I've, I've always believed that revenue is a lagging indicator for so much that's going on.
0: Of course it is.
2: In, in sales. And, and, you're, and the teaching analogy is good because my wife is a teacher and it's the same sort of thing. The, the sort of state tests that students have to go through, those are a lagging indicator of what's been going on for the previous six, nine months, Right. Right. Yeah.
0: And so imagine the difference, because we've all been in school, even if we don't have kids, imagine the difference between a teacher who is told by his or her administration, your goal is to hit the test scores, your goal is to hit the test scores, versus a teacher, or let's call it a history teacher, who's been told, you are creating future citizens. We want well-informed citizens who understand the history of our country, who can think for themselves. That's your goal. The test scores will show us if we got there, but your true north is a well-informed citizenry. Whose class would you rather be in?
2: Oh, absolutely. hundred percent.
0: Yeah. And and that's what leaders have to understand. In Selling with Noble Purpose, we use an example of monster.com, and this is all public record. The exact same thing happened there that happened to you they had leaders who said, we're going to help people find better jobs. Woohoo! we have a purpose. And they shifted to a leadership that said, we're going to be about the numbers. Yeah. And what happened was for the first six months, they had better numbers. Well, what happened in the couple of years that followed? They basically became irrelevant. They were out-innovated by LinkedIn. And so if yeah. you're there and you're that leader saying your purpose is to hit the number, you might as well put a sign on the door that says innovation dies here.
2: Yeah, because it also it, it emphasizes that short term,
0: the short term,
2: short term thinking this week, this month,
0: and nobody you compare two teams, one team is saying, how can we make a difference to customers? The other team is saying, how can we hit our quarterly targets? That first team is going to be the more innovative team.
2: Pivoting a, a bit, one of the you, and you touched on this a little bit before when you were talking about the customer experience when they're on Zoom calls. What do you in your opinion, what's the impact been of for most salespeople being fully remote the past couple of years and it could because in some cases that wasn't much of a change for some people. But in a lot of industries, a lot of roles, it was a drastic shift that happened overnight. What's the impact been of that?
0: So a couple of things. First thing is a lot of extroverted salespeople realized they didn't actually have that many friends. <laughs> <laughs> Their lives have been filled up with going out with customers, entertaining customers, being in the customer's offices. So (laughs) there was a little bit of a reckoning on that. I've just seen some new data about salesperson loneliness, and um, I'm going to do a piece on this. And it basically says when the salespeople became lonely, they became more awkward and they started overspending on customers just to get a social connection. (laughs) But what's happened now a lot of people who were in person salespeople have gone remote, and one of the things that you've got to understand is, for a lot of industries, it's going to stay that way. Yes, and it's not the seller's choice; it's the customer's choice.
2: Yeah, the example we talk a lot about there is in like medical device and pharmaceuticals, right? They yeah. those salespeople were used to that drop-in culture of just showing up at the doctor's offices, and not only did that end on a dime two years ago, but it's not coming back.
0: No, I was in the doctor's office the other day and I looked around and I was like, where are all the skinny, good-looking people? Oh, right, the pharma reps aren't here anymore. <laughs> um, oh, this is just all the patients, all the normal people. But one of the things that you have to understand as a seller, if you were in this virtual environment, is, well, a couple things. Number one, 90% of your customer's journey has been online. So yep. they, and it's without you, and that's not a bad thing. They have looked at your product. They've looked at your, in most cases, they've looked at mm. everything in advance. And so when they've decided to give you their time, litmus test this, but in most cases, they're already up to speed on your company. And when yep. they're giving you their time, it's really precious. And the good news is if they're giving you their time, they're probably really serious. So if you're getting on a Zoom call with somebody, this is a good prospect. You need to understand that. But the other thing that you have to understand, just as they have done their homework, you better do yours. And by your homework, what I mean, there is no excuse. I don't care what you sell, especially if you're B2B, you need to know what this company's goals are what are they trying to accomplish over the next year who is their senior leadership team who is this person you're calling on what is their role you should know all that before you jump on the call
2: yeah what have they been saying in the news that sort of thing yeah
0: right you, there's no excuses you need to know all that and so if you are booking back to back to back calls with no time in between you're doing yourself and your customers a disservice if you do nothing else Cut your calls from 30 minutes to 25 or an hour to 45 and give yourself that time. And, and then the other thing that you need to understand about this Zoom situation is your intent became more apparent. And here's why. You walk into somebody's office, we're gonna shake hands, and do you want some coffee? I'm gonna see some pictures of their kids or whatever. All those social niceties that we just sort of do automatically they're wiped out on Zoom. They're absolutely wiped out. And so what happens is if you're just a, like, how much money have you got and When can I close this deal? <laughs> That's going to show up really early. Right.
2: It's amplified, so, right? Yeah.
0: Yeah. And so one thing that we coach sellers to do is if you're in a first call or an early call, make sure you've done your homework and make sure you have some questions to ask that customer. And you all teach this that have to do with their strategic intent. You know, I see you all are going into three new markets that year. How's that going to affect you in your role? Like you have got to start that call off where the focus is on the customer because a lot of customers are coming to the call going, "So what do you got?" They'll they'll prompt you to a show and tell just because they don't know what else to do. So you've got to be really planful so that you can make that call about them instead of just about you.
2: And that that homework has to go beyond asking the sort of, but I think it's cliche, the like, what's keeping you up at night question. Oh my God,
0: you should already know that. Right,
2: I was gonna say, one of the previous episodes of this podcast, I was talking to somebody and he talked about, you have to instead come into those conversations saying, here's three things that should be keeping you up at night, because I know that's what other people in your role or your industry are doing. And which which of these resonates with you sort of thing and and go that way. You have to flip it around.
0: If I could go back in my own early career, And one thing we've done for a lot of clients is, I wish I had better business intelligence. And what I mean by that is, you should know if you've got three typical buyers, if your buyers are CMO, head of HR, sales enablement, strategy, Mm -hmm. whoever your buyer is, you should know the compelling hot issues for a person typically in that role. Like you should know that so that you can say, you know, you and I have probably both dealt with chief revenue officers. So challenge for chief revenue officers now is the economy's opened up very high targets that they have to hit, and they have to keep their people emotionally engaged and not quitting. So like, I better be really fluid in how to do both of those things before I jump on a call.
2: Yeah. What's the link you think between purpose and because a lot of these things we you know we talk about it's making a difference in in customers' lives and and customer impact and you know improving everything related to the customer that's got to link directly to sort of the importance of a, a, an ethical approach to selling and obviously that's mm-hmm. that's what we preach right it's, you know it's in, it's in our name but what so what do you think is the link between having a you know your noble purpose and maintaining a truly ethical approach to selling?
0: Your noble purpose is about how you improve life for customers, and it should lead you down the path of ethical selling. And having said that, I believe that most people are ethical and most people want to do the right thing. And when we think of all the examples of people who haven't done the right thing, we tend to pluck them out as if they are individuals. I'll use Wells Fargo as an example, where it was just a few bad apples. When actually those people are acting in accordance with the culture. And even the people at the top of the culture might not have been bad people. They didn't say, go invent a bunch of accounts and and ding the customers for all this. But when you think about ethical selling, when your true north is hit the numbers at all costs, you open up the door for even people who normally might be ethical to cut corners. And, and I'm sure there's some awful people in the world. We know that. But what I see is the majority of people are just trying to do a good job, and make a living. And when you create a climate that says hitting the numbers is everything, you might take a normally ethical person who doesn't want to lose their job because they wanna provide for themselves and their family. And they might start going on that side. And so the real onus is on every leader to say, we're here to improve life for customers in ways that are ethical. And every onus is on the individual to say that. I, I remember I worked with someone who's one of the best customer service people I've ever worked with. And she told us about this other company that she worked for, where they would tell people they had this lie that they would say, they would say they had a fire in the factory when orders were late. And she said, you had to write down who you said that to. So you didn't use the story more than once. And it was interesting because I had two years of experience of this being the best customer support person I'd ever had. But when she told me that story and I realized she was part of it, and she's only 25 years old when she was part of it. I kind of changed how I thought about her and, and, and she was super nice and she was very young and doing it at the direction of her leadership. But what I, what, what I gleaned from that and I wasn't much older myself is whether you know it or not, people are watching how you conduct yourself. And most people give others the benefit of the doubt. Most people assume people are honest. Most people assume that people are have good intent but when you reveal something different than that, people will not take it as an isolated incident. It will become what they think of you.
2: That's a really good point. Yeah, that they're they're not gonna just dismiss it. They're going as to take one-off. that as, as, as a one-off, right?
0: Even if it wasn't one-off, they'll right. say, Oh, I must not have really known him or her. And right. so what we find is, and most of our clients that Most people that call us when I work with senior teams, they already have a purpose. It's either implicit or explicit. We're trying to help them elevate it and bring it to life with a sales team. But having said that, I have worked with a couple of places, three in fact, where things had gone sideways in a really bad way. And a leader either had to fix it or a new leader came in and said, we have got to fix this. And what a noble purpose does for you is it gets everyone in your organization focused and aligned around the same true north. And it tends to inoculate you against those individual bad behaviors. And if you have them, they are, in fact, outliers. They're not a product of your culture.
2: Now, you started talking about sales managers and the role of sales leaders. And I want to get into that, but, but as a sort of bridge to that a lot of the things that we're talking about what's your perspective on whether companies can train for the things that we're discussing and i guess a related question is what do you think companies get wrong about training their their sales teams it seems like you know a lot of companies they view training as jamming product information into reps heads and Right. Giving them market marketing messages to memorize and demo scripts. And here's the, the nuts and bolts of how you use the CRM and other sort of tactical things, which are impor- important for them to know. But they put their training all around those things. But all the things that we've been talking about, can you train for those things? And, and again, what do you think companies get wrong about their development?
0: Absolutely can train for those things. So I will use a parenting example. It is one thing if I were to do a parenting class and tell everyone you're trying to raise future citizens, you're trying to raise ethical people, you're trying to raise people that can create their own happiness. I mean, everyone's going to go, well, duh, yeah. But it's completely another thing if I say, here are common scenarios with five-year-olds. Let's play out how you handle this. Here are common scenarios with 15-year-olds. Let's play out how you handle this. Here's this conversation you might want to have with your kids. Let's play out how you start it. That group of parents is going to be so much better in the moment because they've practiced these things. And so, as leaders, when you train yourselves, people, like, yeah, you got to train them how to use the CRM. Yeah, you got to train them how to, you know, what your products are. But so much of the mistake people make is they think if I can just load their lips with the perfect language and give them this great message, the customer will agree. That's not what you want to do. What you want to do is you want to have done so many practices with your people and have their knowledge be so deep and baked in that they are conversationally fluid in the things that you want them to do. So just like that parenting class, you can give me the perfect script, but like if my kid says it differently, I'm going to go, ah, what am I going to do? But if we've done practice after practice after practice, and the second that comes up, I go, I know what to do here. And so you absolutely can train for this. And what you're trained for is you're trained for two things. You're training for a mental model that they can carry with them from call to call to call to call, good or bad. And then you're also training for some skills because we already know the scenarios that they're most likely going to encounter. And we're not trying to script them, but it's just like an actor or an actress. You can tell when they're sort of reaching for the line because they're trying to get the script. Versus you can tell when it's so deep within them that they are connecting with the audience. That's how we want our sellers on that third level.
2: Yeah. Like we say, it's, it, you've got to develop salespeople from the standpoint of skill and will. Because if you yes. develop the skill, it doesn't mean that they're actually going to do it if yeah. they don't have that true north, that purpose.
0: They don't. And, and I'll tell you how I develop selling with noble purpose. There's a big story in the book about the research but the reason I came to it was I had been a sales trainer for a lot of different companies. I was a contract sales trainer for a solid decade when my kids were young. And what I came to realize that there were so many good sales trainings out there that talked about putting the customer first, but the reason it fell apart in the field is because when it came to the field, the true north was always the number. And so I had to find a way to make the true north the customer impact because then the skills stick, because they are in the service of that.
2: That's really good. So let's talk about, because it's directly related to training, right? It's, the, it's again, the role of the the sales manager. And you write in the book about sales managers as the quote, frontline belief builders. Can you talk about what you think the role of the sales leader should be today? Whether it's, you know, reinforcing training, coaching, reducing people's anxieties, their <laughs> self-doubts, all those sorts of things. Like, what <laughs> what do you think their role is? and And are, are companies adequately preparing people that are promoted into sales leadership roles to actually lead in, and lead in coach?
0: So let's take the first question. Are companies adequately preparing? In most cases, the answer is no. Yeah, We promote the best seller, and then we go, congratulations, you're a sales manager. At least that's what happened to me. Yeah. Managers are the frontline belief builders. And what I mean by that is a seller is going to hear from the CRO, the CEO on occasion, but the manager is the primary voice in their ear. And so we tend to train managers on is, here's how you do your pipeline calls. Here's how you do all this. But we don't train them on this important thing called belief. And so I'm going to give you a shortcut. A super simple, very powerful thing that sales managers can do. And it's what we call the game changing question. So, everybody knows, I'll give you an example. Everybody knows manager does the pipeline review. And we sit down and I say, Will, so I see you got opportunity XYZ. What are the questions I ask? How much is it going to be? When are you going to close it? Do you have all the decision makers in the room? Who's the competition? What's the likelihood? So all those very important questions.
2: And a lot of sales leaders think that asking those questions is coaching, right?
0: It's coaching. It is not coaching. Right. You're asking a seller to report on something. And half the time when they tell it to you, you ask them to change it. Are you sure it's 50%? I think it's 80. Yeah, it's 80%. But anyhow, that's not coaching. It is information reporting. It is just like asking your kid, when do you have to be there? What do you need for practice? Like it's important, but it's not. it's not parenting. Yeah. So... Here is the question you ask. We've gone through all your stuff, Will. You told me about this. One single question, Will, how will this customer be different as a result of doing business with us? Now, if I am the manager and I ask that question, and thank you for playing along and being my sales rep, Will. If I'm the manager, Will's brain has just gone from all the internal stuff he needs to know about himself and his deal and all that, now he's thinking about the customer that's where i want his brain before he goes in that call so he's either going to tell me well ms manager here's how the customer will be different their strategy will change they will be more efficient they'll do this and i'll go well will is really ready for this call focus on that or he'll go well i don't know they'll have our solution in which case ding 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 my sales rep is not ready because if he can't answer to me he can't answer to the customer and so when you ask what role do sales managers play, if you can start asking this question, how will the customer be different? And you can lift it up. So say Will gives me a great answer. Then when I'm talking to Susie and she gives me a terrible answer, I can say, well, you know, I heard from Will or at the sales meeting, I can say, Will was talking about how his customer would be different. And Susie had an example of the impact she had on customers. When I start telling those stories, I'm building what I call the tribe of true believers because in every culture, it's the storytelling. America, we got a bunch of stories that we tell ourselves. Now we know a lot of them aren't true, but every religion has a big book of stories. Every family reunion, you come to tell the stories because the stories you tell reveal the mindset and the ethos of the culture. So if you want to build belief in your sellers, you'd be asking how the customer is different as a result of doing business with you. And you need to be telling stories about when it actually happened. That's the manager as a belief builder.
2: And I love that, that question. I remember reading that in, in the book because it's not only a sort of a litmus test for the salesperson and whether they're prepared, but it can also be a rallying cry yeah. for the rest of the organization if you share that. People that are even in not, they might be in customer support, customer service, operational marketing That's roles, right. whatever it might be. It's really helpful for them to understand that too. And I think the other thing is it it helps you understand how to engage with a customer before you win the deal and after. Yes. Right? Because the relationship goes further than just that win. Than win. Look, and yeah. so
0: the how will the customer be different not only creates a compelling story for your seller to talk with the customer about. But to your point, customer success, it should be in your marketing. The whole ethos of your company should be lined up around that. And what we say in an ideal world, the company has a shared noble purpose that everyone knows and understands, which is about how you make a difference to customers. Each person can draw a direct line from their job to how they make a difference to customers. So it's the company and the job. And then the third piece is each team member has a personal connection to that, that it means something to them. And when you get those three, imagine a Venn diagram with company, job, and person. When you get those three lined up, man, that is how you create magic as a company. That's when you win the market. That's when you become a best place to work. That's when you become an innovative company.
2: Uh, So we believe strongly, and we talked about it on other episodes of this podcast, that a salesperson's ability to ask Good questions really makes or breaks an opportunity, right? Especially early on, building that credibility and trust. Not walking in with your PowerPoint showing, you know, all your locations and customer logos, and not asking them what's keeping them up at night—that sort of thing. But so, what are you from your perspective? What are some questions that salespeople should be asking customers more of? Like, what do customers want to be asked? And just important, just as importantly, how do you get salespeople to actually <laughs> to actually listen? To, to the answers and, and, and engage in dialogue instead of just thinking about what the next question is.
0: Right. So you've asked two questions. I'll answer them both. So in terms of what should you be asking about, if you, you should be asking, I'll give you one broad brush example about how the company's strategy and goals, and you can find this on the internet, whatever their CEO said, if you're not calling on the CEO, how those are going to play out with your buyer. And by that, I mean, so your company's trying to do X, Y, Z. What's your role in that, Will? How will that affect you and your department, Will? What impact will that have on you? you? That's the kinds of questions that you want to be asking, which are not those, So, what keeps you up at night? Like salespeople figured that out 25 years ago, buyers don't want to hear it. You're getting to that. But you're getting to that in a much more skilled way because what you're doing with a question like that, you've got this initiative to do X, Y, Z as a company, or I know your market has suddenly become very competitive. You're revealing, I've done my homework. And then you're asking the customer to think deeply about how the larger issues are affecting them in their job. And oh, if they don't know, you might need to try and ratchet yourself up a notch or two inside the company. And so that's the kinds of questions that you want to be asking of your buyer. And then I said there were two parts and I forgot the second part because I got so into the first part.
2: How do salespeople actually listen to to the answers to the questions that they're asking?
0: So here I'm going to use a marriage counselor example. Imagine we go to a marriage counselor and I'm married and I've been married for a million years and I'm a woman and I'm married to a man. Okay, so you need to know that important intel here. If the marriage counselor says, y'all need to ask each other more questions, you need to be more interested in each other. You need to really listen to the answers. Both of us will go, yes, we do. We are going to do that. Yes, we are. But then in day-to-day life, we might forget. So imagine instead if the marriage counselor says, next time you come back here, I'm going to ask you, what was your partner's week like? What are they worried about most right now? What are the most important things going on with them? I'm going to go, oh, shit, I don't want to look bad in front of the marriage council. I better get the answers. (laughs) So how do you get sellers to listen more? Is you the leader? And we've got five prompts that we use. You the leader consistently ask, what's going on in this customer's environment? What are their biggest challenges? What are they trying to accomplish within the scope of their job? What does success look like for them? What does lack of success look like for them? You, the leader, are always asking your seller those questions about that deep customer intelligence. If your boss is not doing this, you need to ask them of yourself. And one thing that really helps sellers is if you have a 30 minute call, 45 minute call, just make a mental note whatever time you started, what's the halfway mark, and say, I'm going to talk about myself after the halfway mark.
2: Mm, that's a good tip.
0: Super yeah. simple. That will give you. The space to relax and say, in the first half of this call, I'm going to find out as much about them and what's going on with them and their goals and initiatives as I possibly can. And you need to have some confidence that whatever they reveal, you'll be able to connect to it because you probably will if you're talking to the right buyer.
2: And again, it, it it's all it all goes back to the the question you talked about earlier of focusing on how will this customer be different as right. a result of doing business with us, right?
0: Right. So I want to spend at least half my time, especially in those early calls, maybe more leaning in saying, I want to figure out where this customer, this buyer, this company, where they're going, what they're trying to accomplish, the larger scope of things, what the compelling issues are, because they wouldn't be talking to me if they didn't already think that in some way I could help them. So just give yourself that space And don't be so worried about trying to bring up you. Like if you, it's it's almost like speed dating, which used to be popular, where you have like fifteen minutes or seven minutes. If you spend the whole time talking about yourself, you're probably not going to get another date.
2: Well, and 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 the last point I'd make on that is it goes back to what you talked about before, which is. And and this is around the importance of your brand and and marketing leading up to the call because all that stuff is available to the customer. And they there wouldn't be know. on the they wouldn't be on the phone with you to begin with or on a Zoom call to begin with if they didn't find all that stuff about you and find you credible.
0: Yeah, and so you can. It doesn't have to be awkward. They'll go. So what have you got for me? I'm real interested in your X Y Z. Say, well, I am delighted to hear that. If we could spend a couple minutes, I've done some homework and know a little bit about you. But if we could spend just a couple minutes, I got a couple questions for you, that would help me direct my comments. So, I mean, you pivot just like that. And you say, so you guys are trying to do X, Y, Z. It strikes me that someone in your role is probably worried about bubba. ba. If I was talking to a chief revenue officer, I'd say, I see you guys have some really aggressive sales goals. Someone in your role is probably got a lot of pressure on them to deal with that. But they also need to keep their sales team happy, and emotionally engaged. How are you dealing with that? We're going to have a good conversation from that point on.
2: Yeah, much more substantive.
0: Right. And, and the truth is, I really want to know. It's not some you it's know, not <laughs> question that I'm asking to hope that they say this. I really want to know. And if they go, oh, shit, I've never thought of that. Or, oh, let me tell you about. It. Either way, I can deal with the answer because I can probably help them.
2: Yeah. So we're just about at the end of our time. I wanted to wrap with one uh, last question for you to get you know something practical uh, in addition to everything you've already given that people can take away. As people listen to this and they think about like, all right, what's my, what's my purpose? What's my true note, right? What are some questions that salespeople should ask themselves to help them create their own, I mm-hmm. think as you call it, their own purpose statement?
0: Yeah, noble purpose statement.
2: Noble purpose statement.
0: And it's noble because it's in the service of others. So the first thing I would say is, Don't put too much pressure on yourself. Don't feel like it's forever. And and I mean, if you want to go off and, you know, hike in the wilderness for two weeks and, and do some soul searching, have at it. Now's a good time to do that. But if you want to make better sales calls this afternoon, here's what you can do. And it's in the book. You ask yourself the question, how does what we sell make a difference? And keep pushing yourself. What if we didn't do it? What if they didn't have it? What happens when it works really well? Really search and say, what's the ripple effect? How does what we sell, how do I make a difference? Then ask yourself that second question. How do we do it differently? And you may have some innovation that's completely different, or it may just be, we care more. And then really reflect on your best day. What do you love about your job? And I guarantee you, you may go back to some of those days when you scored the big sale and got the big commission. I will also guarantee you that part of that was knowing that you made a difference. Because once we get beyond food and shelter, people want belonging and significance. And so it doesn't matter who you work for at this moment in time. Doesn't matter what your leadership is doing. When you can create a narrative for yourself that you reset, against how you make a difference and how you do it differently and what you love about your job, the data tells us that you will close more sales. You will force stronger connections with your customers. Your win rate will go up. Your customer retention will go up. But here's the other thing. You'll be happier because you're going to show up for work every day, no matter what. You deserve to enjoy it. And it's the difference between being That exhausted kind of tired at the end of the day, where it was just a rat race, versus what I call the good tired. When you're tired at the end of the day, but you know you did something that mattered.
2: You know you accomplished something. Yeah. So this has been excellent. As I said at the uh, at the outset, Lisa, I was eager to have you on this show because I really have felt like your point of view about selling maps closest to what this this podcast is all about, and I think that's um, that's proven out over the last hour. So. I hope everybody that has listened to this uh, enjoys it and takes some some really practical and, and important things to heart that they can they can do around this. You can find Lisa and connect with her on LinkedIn. On Twitter, her Twitter handle is Lisa Earl McLeod. That's Lisa E-A-R-L E McLeod, M-C-L E-O-D. And her website is mcleodandmore.com. That's McLeod and more, M-O-R-E.com. Uh, again, you can connect with her on, on LinkedIn. And of course, the book, Selling with Noble Purpose, you can get wherever you get your books from. Nice. Lisa, thank you so much again for being with us today.
0: It's been such a pleasure. I have long admired your company and what you've done. You are early, early, early on sales has integrity in a noble profession. So it was, I was really delighted to get the invite. Now, I'll, I'll tell folks I appreciate you sharing where you can find me. If you follow me on LinkedIn, we post tons of video content and it's free. So, so follow me on LinkedIn and get the Work on Purpose newsletter. They're both free and it's super easy.
2: Excellent. Well, thank you again, Lisa. Thanks to everyone for listening to us today. Uh, I'm Will Milano with Integrity Solutions. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode a couple of weeks from now. And of course, on mental selling, if there are any other previous episodes you haven't listened to, please do. And also when you can, give us a, a like or, or subscribe, give us a review. We love to get feedback on how we can make the show better. And until next time, thanks everyone for joining us. Bye-bye.
1: You've been listening to Mental Selling, an Integrity Solutions podcast. Stay in touch with us by subscribing to the show in your favorite podcast player and following us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Please give us a rating, leave a comment, and share episodes you love. That helps us keep empowering sales and service leaders to master the mental side of selling. Until next time, let's go out and create amazing customer experiences.